Hello and welcome to the Fast Break Podcast, a podcast about UConn men's basketball. It's been an interesting week following the Huskies. They took a nine-point win over Seton Hall at home before a close three-point loss at Creighton. We know the Huskies have had their ups and downs across the season, but perhaps are settling into some sort of rhythm as we hit the home stretch. Folks, I'm joined by Dan Madigan and Patrick Martin. Hey, how do you guys feel after this week, the loss to Creighton and the win over Seton Hall? How are you guys feeling? I really didn't think the the loss to Creighton was that bad. I thought um, the Huskies played pretty well. There were some stretches where, you know, things may not have gone their way, but it's a tough team. Uh, maybe one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the Big East right now. Uh, and they played tight with them on the road for 40 minutes and came up, what, an inch short, a half of an inch short. Um, if Jordan Hawkins is, is able to get back a, a quarter inch faster, uh, behind that three-point line, I think it could be a very different story because UConn really did have a lot of momentum in those last few seconds there. And then um, the Seton Hall game was pretty uneventful until the last few minutes. They were UConn was pretty much in control the whole time. Um, they were up, I think, 15 or, or 13 with three or four minutes to play, and Hurley and the Huskies kind of decided to slow things down, and that's when it got a little dicey. But um, that was more just trying to make sure that UConn would come out on top. I don't think that was anything like a change in offense or anything like that. They just tried to run the clock, run that old like Mike Bray, Notre Dame burn offense and uh, just try and kill clock until it hit zeros. And it almost backfired, but um, it never really got as close as the score looked. I think um, I was in the building. I know we had some other folks from the blog in there as well. And um, I guess it got a little dicey, but I don't think anyone was really concerned. Wow, Madigan, a Mike Bray reference, future Georgetown head coach, Mike Bray. I know, I know I'm on like that. Uh, it's no, but to, <laughs> uh, to quote Jay-Z, you know, moral victories are for minor league coaches. However, the loss at Creighton is the closest thing you could get to a, a moral victory. Um, what the last five minutes they traded baskets they had chance they had chance after chance to take the lead uh you could almost say that they kind of fumbled it away with some costly turnovers and some you know panic you know that spawned a whole twitter conversation of oh can dan hurley win a close game the fact that we're at that that they had that debate online on the road against a top 15 team shows you where uconn is at and as as Dan talked about with, you know, yeah, they were up, what, 14 at, you know, with Seton Hall and, you know, everyone's probably texting up oh, kill shot right there. It's over. You know, they, they got to six and the Sunogo block saved, uh, you know, disaster. However, people forget Seton Hall, 14th Ken Palm. Uh, that's I'm looking at it now. The only team better that they played is Oklahoma State, Iowa State. In Alabama, those were all wins uh, that turned out to be, you know, gems. But they beat them around by the same amount. They beat, I think, Oklahoma State by ten. You know, the Alabama game was a blowout, but it was close up until the end. 
So, you know, when you're, when, when you take a 14 point lead with five minutes to play against a team like Seton Hall, that is the worst time to almost like have that lead because you know, they're just going to press the shit out of you for the rest of the game. And if there is one weakness that UConn has, it's a lack of a true point guard, a, you know, a taper, a floor general that can calm things down and running out the clock proved not to be the great strategy, but at the same time, they still figured out a way. It never got to be too tight. It was almost like they were psyching themselves out of it. So I feel great. I've got the swinging Jonathan hat on. Uh, you know, looking forward to more games in the garden coming up that I'm sure we'll talk about. So I'm we're full speed ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in two minds about the Creighton game. Um on one hand, I, I was not super impressed by by them as a team. I understand they're like highly ranked and generally considered good in the grand scheme of, of college basketball, but I think what what makes it a disappointing loss is is that it's a missed opportunity. Like you said, they had a, they really did have a chance to win that game, to take control there. Um, even though in the in the overall, it's not a bad result, right? It's not it's not bad to lose by three at Creighton. No one's going to ding your your resume too hard. And at the end of the day, for all the criticism that this UConn team has taken, they still really only have kind of two bad losses, which is St. John's at home. What the heck happened? And, and Seton Hall on the road, which, you know, any road game is tough. The fact that they were up, you know, up big by so much is really what makes that such a bad loss. Beyond that, they lost two really good teams. They lost to Xavier at home. They lost to, they lost to otherwise really good teams on the road. And that's it. You know, they've had some close calls against, teams that we did not want them to have close calls with that's college basketball. That's big East basketball. Um, They've been, they've been grinding against, against teams that, that bring all sorts of challenges to the forefront. The Seton hall defense was nasty. Um, And, and they've come through mostly looking, looking pretty good. And, you know, let's not also forget their absolute beatdown of, of Marquette, Um, you know, which, which shows us that they still have that, really, really high level of play. And I think we know what, you know, what is working when that, uh, when, when they reach that, but they have, they have even a ceiling that is yet to be discovered. So I think that's, that's all what remains promising is that, look, we're in late February. This UConn team is, is talented enough. Um, and, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't run away with the big East title, like, like you wanted them to, or like you maybe thought they would two months ago, but, uh, they're still overall in a pretty good place. Um, and, and the results have been showing that lately. Yeah. I think at the beginning of the season, if you said that UConn would hang around and, you know, lose by three in the final seconds on the road at Creighton, I think that would be a pretty good outcome. Um, this team has already like over exceeded pretty much all preseason expectations. Obviously, during the season after that 14 no start, things probably got a little out of hand. They probably aren't a top two or three team in the country that like they're just not right now. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not one of the 10 or 15 best teams. When I was doing the bracketology breakdown for DraftKings, the DraftKings work on our site, we looked at the, I was looking at the quad one, quad two, quad three games that UConn had. 
And that Seton Hall loss, while it was bad, like watching it in person um, or watching it on TV, it was soul crushing, to be completely honest. Uh, that's a quad two loss. It's not the end of the world. I wouldn't even really consider it a bad loss. And the committee, uh, there's probably nobody on the committee that watched that game and and knows what happened other than the final score or they're searching, you know, maybe they're Googling the box. And Hurley didn't yeah. coach it. Maybe we get some credit for that. <laughs> right. That I honestly, like, if they're going to do that much research, I'm sure that factors into play too. So um, it's hard to really put a lot of stock into that loss. Um, the St. John's loss is inexcusable. Just like one of the, like one of the worst losses that I can think of in the last few years, but that's college basketball, like you said. Uh, and I still like UConn's resume a lot heading into March. Mm-hmm. And as they were basically taking names all through November and December, no other team in the Big East was really letting the world on fire, almost to the point that like the, the narrative got so crazy. It was, is UConn so far above the rest of the Big East that they're not going to be challenged? You know, we saw all the stuff about, oh, they're favored in every Ken Palm game. Or, are we going to get, you know, a tough test here before the tournament? Um, yeah, this ain't the AAC. Marquette, Xavier, Creighton, Providence, those are all teams that have – I'd say sweet 16 potential. And then when you add UConn in there, the Big East is incredibly top heavy. And there is still a world where UConn takes its lumps in the Big East against some very good elite teams, figures some things out and has more of an identity as opposed to if the, if those five teams weren't as good, they cruise through the Big East they they win a they win the Big East tournament and they go into you know they go into the NCAA tournament with a little more of an unknown of like how tested are they? I I, I think you know it, not saying which we would prefer, but there is some benefit to having gone through these experiences as opposed to a Houston where they are just blowing people out. And there's the question. I mean, that's been the the story about Gonzaga for as long as we've been growing up is, you know, how good are they? It, you, so far, UConn has shown with, you know, when they blow the doors off Marquette and then they lose to St. John's in, this, in the span of a month, we are have a better idea of where that team is. And I think there's something to be said for that heading into the most important time of the year. Yeah, it's just crazy that the UConn's meteoric rise kind of coincided with Marquette kind of stumbling out of the gates, Creighton laying an absolute egg for like a week or two in those like mid-tournament, those mid-season tournaments. Um, I was looking at the preseason poll while you were talking about that, Patrick. It, it kind of reminds me of the old Big East in that on paper when the season starts, it might not be like the deepest conference or whatever, but then you get closer and closer to March. Right. And you're looking through like, Holy cow, there's a lot of really good teams on this schedule on, on this roster. So uh, in the preseason top 25, there was two big East teams ranked It was Creighton at nine and Villanova at 16. And now there's five teams in the speaks AP poll and Villanova is not on that list. Um, It's just kind of interesting that this conference has really I feel like beefed it up over the last six, eight weeks and has evolved to once again, like one of the better conferences in the sport. Um, and I think that is kind of the reason why you kind of stumbled around, right? They may not be a top two or three team in the country, but the big East might be a top two or three conference in the country. So it's just really hard to win games, especially on the road where you kind of had so many losses. 
Yeah, you got to know that it's it's not going to be a pushover through Big E's play ever. And even just the mere fact that you play a team twice, including once in their own house, uh, a lot of things are going to happen. Uh, even to take a sweep over Georgetown, uh, not everyone not everyone was blessed enough to to be able to do that this year. So, um, and and I think also as it relates to some of this stuff about close games and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'm less inclined to pin that on Hurley. I really do think of it as, as kind of an issue around guard play, uh, just in that, you know, UConn not having that primary ball handler uh, and also to some extent, even just not having that primary dude uh, in some ways is what has kept them from closing out games the way you might want them to or like them to. Um, I still do see the poor late clock execution that includes like late in the shot clock um, or, or late in game clock situations. And I think, you know, we've seen when UConn's at their best, it's when uh, uh, guys like Aline and Newton are having good games. That's when UConn is, is, you know, approaching its ceiling. Uh, and I think that's kind of just what needs to get better, get consistent, find a way um, because that's that's clearly the differentiator right now and the source of i think some some of the um you know like turnover issues that that we see in those in those crunch time uh situations there was some there was some really bad stuff in the Seton Hall game you know like a a 5 second inbound violation and you know just the turnovers the string of bad offensive positions i know Seton Hall's good but you know you you really that's where an RJ Cole, a, a Christian Vital, a Shabazz Napier, uh, you know, takes the ball and scores. And, uh, you know, not having that is is something that I think this UConn team does have to kind of contend with and and figure out. Well, does UConn have a go-to guy in the shot clock where when you are killing clock for five minutes, you just give the ball to him, spread the court and say, go get a basket. Um, now you can make the argument that you know, you can do the same with Adama Sonogo with some proper scheming and, and some sets. And also that Adama Sonogo had the block that saved Seton Hall's run from being something, you know, truly nightmarish. But that will always be a thing, despite the fact that Jordan Hawkins has, you know, he shot. I, I can't I, I don't have it in front of me right here, but he shot the ball poorly from outside. I think he had he was three for 11 from three. You know, and he still got his 20 points. He had two takes with his left hand that he converted tough, tough shots, uh, continues to be fouled on the three-point line, which is just so amazing, and convert from the free throw stripe. Um, His continued evolution as a three-level scorer hopefully gets to the point where they can toss him the ball clear out or set a high ball screen and say, go get a basket, go get fouled, take control of the game. And I think we are seeing a time where like that, it, it really could be that Um, Creighton did a really good job of shutting him out. I think in in keeping him from that, but he still, I mean, he had the three pointer that conceivably tied it up. Um, Him becoming that guy is the closest thing to like our Keontae George moment. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, his improved consistency as of late is one of the most encouraging things about this team. And exactly like you said, 
giving UConn a person that they can look to in these situations. I think the way that he was assertive in attacking the basket, like you said, when he was having an off shooting night is, is tremendous and exactly what you want to see. And um, speaking of other things that are exactly what you want to see was Andre Jackson finally adapting to the way that defenses are playing him, finding a way to score, finding a way to work within the offense. He's, he still went 0 for 4 from 3, but his takes were not forced. His takes were not like him sitting out there thinking about it while people are, you know, insulting his shooting ability. It's it's more like, you know, he was open and in the course of offense he just kind of took a 3 and he's made he's made some of those um, you know, in in recent games. So the way that the way that he's playing and the way that they can trust Jackson and Sonogo, I think, as as ball handlers is, I think, has to be part of this like late game lack of point guard, lack of lead, lead ball, lead on ball guard option. Um, Hawkins emergence is a really, really big part of that. And then, yeah, I mean, Jackson, this was the first sign. Seton Hall was really the first sign of him figuring out we were not seeing it after the Creighton game still. I think it was still you know, a lot of moments of frustration, but he had a quote after the game about, you know, finding spots and something, something, I think, I think it's clicking for him on how to make it work. And, you know, it showed with a career high 15 points. So um, those are super, super encouraging elements that, that we've seen from them. Yeah. I don't even know if the, like the late game stuff or like the lack of a guard thing is a huge, is as big of a problem as we make it out to be. Sometimes I just think that some of it is like, just the players that are on the court, like Tristan Newton is the, you know, closest thing UConn has to a point guard, pretty good distributor, right? Two triple doubles this year. Only person to ever do that UConn history, but he does get pretty turnover prone. Like he had five turnovers in that game. He had a triple double against Marquette. He had four, I think um, against Seton Hall. And like, it's kind of a problem because he's one of the best free throw shooters on the team. If not the best, Um, I'm sure him and Hawkins are like, 1a and 1b but he has to be on the floor he shoots like 88 or 89 or 90 percent from the stripe like he has to be on the floor but he's also the person that's most likely to commit a turnover and kind of unfair to him he's had some really high usage rates like i was looking every game that he's had a usage rate of over 25 percent, which is basically like how many times they're going to him on offensive possessions he's had at least three or four turnovers so some of that is just volume uh and if you give those opportunities to somebody else it's a different story, but um, that does matter. And it's kind of, I think Hurley is comfortable kind of taking that risk because when Newton's on, I think this offense is a lot better. And I think he is kind of that guy for better or for worse that is getting the ball late in the shot clock, just because he can create on his own. He can at least get to the line, get fouled. Whereas I feel like Hawkins is more effective, whether he's shooting or going to the rack, coming off a screen and kind of getting that pass and getting, getting to the hoop. He's not doesn't really have that ability to create off the dribble just yet. So um, I, I think it's really going to come down to how Newton and Jackson, those are like two primary ball handlers, how they play during crunch time. Jackson doesn't shoot a lot of free throws, but, and we, we know about his struggles from three, but he's actually a pretty good free throw shooter. He's like 68 or 70%, which doesn't sound that great, but he was five for seven against Seton Hall. He's basically been like one for two or two for two. Uh, in every game this season. So he's just not taking a lot of free throws. Um, But I liked his aggressiveness. I thought that kind of hesitation that he had for uh, the Xavier game 
uh, the Georgetown game. I thought that was kind of gone. I also think this being more of a free-flowing game where he was able to kind of attack and transition and really be an aggressive cutter to the hoop uh, allowed him to kind of not think as much and just react. Um, and it's not always a great thing because I think Jackson has probably the best brain in terms of basketball IQ on the team. Um, so I, I do kind of want him in positions where he is thinking and making the right plays, but um, credit to Hurley and the coaching staff. It, it's pretty clear that he was in some sort of funk, um, mental, physical, or whatever for a good good chunk of the last few weeks or so. And they put him and utilized him in a way where he could just react and be the incredible athlete that he is and just torch uh, the Pirates. I didn't know 15 points is a career high. I felt like he's he's had more than that. Um but he's a really, really fun player. He's one of the most interesting players I think that's come through here. So happy to see him doing well and affecting the game in, in major ways like he usually does. Mm-hmm. Listen, if Andre Jackson finishes the way he finishes against Seton Hall and he figures that out, I will put, up my, put it on the line and say that UConn will be in the Final Four and maybe win a national championship. Because, like you said, the big brain, when he's he's this freak athlete that that drives, he's almost looking for a pass. He knows he's not a great free throw shooter, even though, he, like you said, he is better than people think. So he's – how often do he do those little – the floaters or, you know, avoiding contact? The Seton Hall game was the first time where you saw him just, again, not think, just attack the rim. Like, take the ball, put it in the basket, dunk on people. Um, if he develop, if he becomes an elite finisher at the rim, one, his draft stock will go through the roof because no one will give a shit about his shooting, uh, because he, he can go by anybody. Um, I, I think back to Pat again, you're going to love this. Remember the, the whole video that was posted of him dunking on a cook, a cook, like where is, I always wondered, where is that in the game? That was like, you know, if you're, if you're in the paint, just jump and attack the rim. You're either going to get fouled or you're going to finish it. Um, and, and that's so much better than a low percentage little floater. I'm, I'm sorry you don't have the touch for that. UConn's ceiling, I think, is tremendously tied to his ability to finish around the rim. I know that seems obvious, but the way he played in Seton Hall, Tristan Newton will come around what he's had eight points in the last two games. He, you know, we, we've seen him go through stretches like that. And, and I love that usage stat that you said, that's, that explains a whole lot. We know, we, we know what you're going to get from Hawkins. You know what you're going to get from Sunogo. If Andre Jackson starts finishing like that, it could be all over. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it. Our good friend, Evan Maya, when he uh, unlocked the, UConn team stats from his site last week. Patrick, you wrote a great article on that. And he tweeted out something where he's Andre Jackson's basically, you know, the best or second best glue guy in the country. And I think that's a little disrespectful to call him a glue guy because he when he's at his peak, he can do so much more than that. And he can really like almost take over a game on both ends, um, even while still being a little limited as a shooter. Um, but he definitely seems like someone who, for better or for worse, how he plays on one end influences how he plays on the other. Um, and I think his, while he was still a, a nominee for defensive player of the year, his defense is kind of slid at times while he was struggling offensively. But when he's able to kind of do what he can do on offense, he's ripping down rebounds on the other end. He's playing great defense. He's blocking stuff. He swatted a few off the backboard. He just mistimed it. They, they called him for goaltending against Seton Hall, but 
um, that aggressiveness came back. And I think that's the biggest thing because when he's aggressive on both ends, it changes the whole dynamic of this UConn team, like you said, Patrick. Think about that putback he almost had. That that would have been one of the plays of the year. It just I thought about that later on in the day, just like that was almost the the play of the decade, putting back a a tipped three like that. Um yeah, it, it reminds me of uh the, the scene from white man can't jump when Woody Harrelson just kind of lays it up in the end after uh, the team they were playing against, you know, was just talking, chirping the whole time. It's like, dunk it, just dunk it, dunk it you, right in his face, dunk it. And and that's what I feel like every UConn fan is saying when he gets in, gets into the paint, just, just dunk it. You know, you have this amazing mixtape, you have this amazing ability, you know, put it all together and and just watch it all unfold. I mean, he was throwing down absolute hammers against Seton Hall. There were seven dunks in total by UConn uh, in that game. And um, on, yeah, on a on a more uh, direct note on on Newton, I think it we have seen a real important and and meaningful emergence from him, including in the loss to Xavier. He had a really good performance in that game, so that gives us some confidence that he can do it against, against good teams. Um, and I, I also really thought he was assertive in the Georgetown game uh, too, where he did make some of those like, okay, UConn hasn't scored in a little bit. Nothing seems to be working. Everyone's kind of getting a little panicky and frantic and just drive and score a bucket. And he did that, uh, which, which I did like. So I think, um, yeah, that, that has been an encouraging piece and, um, but those guys do need to figure it out because, uh, we do know very, very, uh, clearly at UConn that got that guard play is, is crucial in March. Uh, and with that in mind, the selection committee actually recently released its, uh, initial top 16. I think they're trying to, um, tread off of the popularity of the college football playoff top 16 ranking or whatever uh which or you know the college football playoff ranking that comes out which um whatever uh, i guess it's something to talk about and think about it's just a it's just a fancy bracket it's just a gussied up bracketology um but sure uh I, I guess coming from the committee is is something it still is you know late february but UConn, notably, not included in the top 16. The Huskies are, as we speak, uh, in the middle of this week, ranked 6th in Ken Palm, 18th in the AP poll, 1st in your hearts. Uh, how do we feel about the Huskies being out of the top 16? Do you think they are one of the 16 best teams in the country madigan you already said they kind of are so yeah i think your answer here i feel pretty confident that they're one of the 16 best teams in the country i think um just based on their resume if you look at the wins that they have like their early season wins get better and better every single week alabama's the number one team in the country this week for the first time i think ever in in, El- in alabama history um iowa state is 15th in ken palm um the Seton Hall win, like you said, is is no slouch. The Marquette win, um, like low key, one of the better wins of the season. Um, not that this really matters, but 
I think there's a lot of recency bias in these rankings. And I think a lot of, if not all the bracketologists out there are, are kind of just, you know, doing their own thing and going in the wind. But the only thing I've ever seen them united on was pretty much everyone said that UConn was wrongly omitted, which I think is pretty interesting because those people, their whole thing is finding that, you know, one or two little things that differentiate them from the rest in, in trying to hit on that. Right. So I think all of them saying that UConn was a huge miss and, and a huge mistake from the committee um, might actually mean something. But if you look at what they've done and what their schedule looks like the rest of the way, um, I don't know if it's really fair to say that they win out, but we'll say that they beat Providence on Wednesday and they don't lose to DePaul. I think those two things need to happen for them to at least maintain where they're at and then, you know, maybe elevate depending on their Big East tournament um, scenarios. But I think they could easily be a four seed um, and, and maybe creep up to a three seed if they can make the semifinals or the championship game of the Big East tournament. I feel like that's very realistic and attainable, provided they don't lose to DePaul. That would torch everything. Um, and I think avoiding that 5-12 matchup is like, super super important we've seen so many of those upsets like that gets closer and closer to a coin flip every year uh, it's just not worth dealing with and i think uconn really has the resume to back that up that they should be a five seed and um it, it's it's definitely possible that they could even get up to a, a three seed or maybe sneak in as a two if they could win the big east tournament but i think that's a little little unlikely look and if you're if you're up in arms I know I'm asking, I'm not asking, or I'm asking much here, but if you're up in arms about a February top 16, you got to go out and touch some grass. I mean, to, to show you how useless those rankings are, they came out and then Indiana promptly at home barely beat Illinois, who was down their best player. So who cares? Just, just. You know, play, you know, they are in a great spot. The metrics are outstanding. If you are, in fact, that worried about the top 16, just log on to kenpom.com or log on to any, log on to Evan Maya, you know, log on to any analytics site. You know, I know those are kind of, you know, backloaded with the November through December wins, but like, like Dan said, there is still so much basketball to be played to get you up to that comfy four three line where you avoid disaster because yeah i do there is disaster there it, all i i like the bracketology just because it gets it puts a broader picture of like who could they face not saying each one gives you an idea but the likes of seeing hofstra liberty um those are some strong mid-major teams that oral could, roberts or oh god no Send no it way. back. Absolutely not. Take it away. I I don't want anything to do with those teams. And then having to play some of those four lines equally as tough. Uh, no, very you, you got to get to that four. And I think I haven't looked at what those teams are, but I have to imagine they are much more palatable than a than a five line. Yeah, and like you said, the, the Ken Palm, some of the advanced stats may be a little backloaded, but it's so important to stress that those wins still matter. Like that, that didn't happen a year ago or two years ago. Like that happened two and a half, three months ago. Alabama was ranked number two in Ken Palm when UConn beat them. Iowa State was ranked 15th. 
Uh, Oklahoma State was 39 when, when they beat them. That was in December, end of November, but it still matters. Um, the committee says that they still matter, whether they didn't really reflect that in these rankings. And um, I imagine that will change once they get to the end of the season and look back on the whole body of work. But um, yeah, the, the it looks weird because UConn lost like all their games in like a three or four week span. But if you mix everything up and just look at who they beat and who they lost to, um, it's a really, really strong resume. And honestly, one of the strongest that UConn's had in years. Like, I think just on paper, this is stronger than anything they did in 2014 and maybe anything they did in 2011, to be honest. Like, this is this is a legit team with, with big-time wins on neutral floors, uh, some good road wins too. So it's it's a pretty good body of work. And this was kind of mentioned before, but real quick, you know, that stretch where they lost to all those road teams, those road teams were just the likes of Xavier and Marquette and Providence. Those teams were just starting to crack the top 25 at that point. So at that time, of course, that didn't look very good that you were losing to teams that were not in the top 25 when you're a number two team in the country. Now, when you replay that and look at how the rankings have lined up, it was just four top 25 teams in a row. Oh, and by the way, UConn beat Creighton by nine at home, which I think if you, again, told us in preseason that that would happen, we would be thrilled. So again, it, you know, there's some recency bias to a lot of those ratings. And I, I, I do think you credit the coaching staff for putting together, even when you look at um, Oklahoma State, Florida was hit with injuries. I mean, th- th- those were games that put UConn in a good position to have solid wins. Um, I can't remember if it was UNC Wilmington or UMC Greensboro, but either, I think it was Wilmington. And that team is pretty solid in the Southern Conference. So the, the, the re- I, I agree. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this resume is outstanding and hopefully it translates to lo- you know a long run in, in the Big East tournament and a Sweet 16 or maybe even better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good point about just those all of those wins counting on the resume and and there being literally nothing that takes it away. It's not like um, some key player got injured. Yes, it was that they started undefeated and then became not undefeated. It was non-conference play and then conference play. And it was coincidentally also the turn of the calendar year. Uh, so there were a lot of divisions, but yeah, nothing that actually is like, oh, there was, there's the UConn team of back then and the UConn team of right now. It's the same team, the same dudes, the the makeup of everything and the roster construction is all the same. And the other thing is that we're starting to see them, you know, really figure it out in some key important ways. Of course, they're a top 16 team. And, and you know, do I, do I watch all of the teams across all of college basketball and, and am I the most greatest authority to say that no but uh my 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 main reason for saying that UConn is for sure a top 16 team is because they have enough wins that make you believe that and just nobody's that great nobody is like oh my god look at this look at this like amazing seemingly unbeatable team that team was UConn at the beginning of this year that's what people thought UConn was but once that stopped being UConn, it's not like some other team took that place. Nobody is so unstoppable or so unbeatable. And most teams suck, actually. Most teams are terrible. So with that perspective in mind, I think 
it's just important to note that UConn has as, as high a potential as anyone. I think the floor for the rest of this season, right, is home against Providence at St. John's at Madison Square Garden, you know, uh, home against DePaul at Villanova. You got to go at least two and two, right? Like baseline two and two, really, really three and one in a in a perfect world. And in my in my most perfect world, you also get this win against Providence on Wednesday. That's really the the if I'm if I'm asking for one win, you know, really the rest of this season, it's to get that Providence win because that's going to mean something. That's going to again assert that UConn is is and belongs in that top tier of the league. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this Providence game on Wednesday. I think it's going to be really really fun i think no answer for hopkins last time they played he had 27 points i believe it was mostly caravan on him um and this is not a knock on caravan like bryce hopkins is a dude he's a he's a grown man he's a really unbelievable scorer and um even sonogo who isn't the quickest guy but has some some strength he couldn't really keep up with him either so um this was a game where we saw i believe the most minutes all year um with Sano going clinging together on the floor, I have to imagine we're going to see that a lot again, um, just because Sonogo guarding Hopkins and funneling into Klingon in the middle is probably the best way to stop him. Um, but it's a really good team. UConn is projected to win by Ken Palm by like eight points or seven or eight points, I think, which is surprising to me. I think the game will be closer than that. Bryce Hopkins is an, is an amazing player, and it's always I always chuckle when – a player like that transfers out of Kentucky and then comes and just absolutely tears it up with the right opportunity. Um, do you think we get some Andre Jackson at the four? It felt pretty damn stupid to put my heart and soul into that article and then not see Andre Jackson at the four once <laughs> against Seton Hall. I, I, I know there's some, you know, lot, you know, personnel decisions going on there um, with Seton Hall, but I think this is a time where I, Carabank should not be guarding him long. And it worries me, those two, uh, Sonogo and Klingon being paired, especially because Ed Croswell, I mean, he's he's an offensive rebounding machine. He's second in the Big East. Um, so if you got two people going for blocks or, you know, you send doubles to Hopkins, he he's right there. He's a threat. And then also Will Bynum was what he went is out in the first half against UConn. I think he had, he turned his ankle or something like that. Um, him being back, it's it's going to be a tough game. If people are saying Ken Palm made. I'm. It's going to be. This will be a final test of the can Dan Hurley win a close game crowd. I just to add to the Hopkins uh, chorus. I'm I, I am quite impressed by him as a player. My only follow up question is why he chose to take his talents to Providence uh, as opposed to somewhere interesting with a good and promising basketball team. I would wonder why someone might make that decision. Uh, but, you know, everyone's got their kinks. Um, I think uh, ultimately you got to like UConn's chances. It's, it's really, they could, they could end up playing anyone uh, in that, uh, in that four or five game. It looks like UConn will be in that four or five game, no matter what, whether they end up a four or the five. But um, I, I think, you know, if, if UConn wins 
one that's kind of the the bare minimum that that we'd like to see in the big east tournament that's that's kind of the the set of expectations here and then you'd feel pretty decent as long as they don't get you know punked the the next night ideally of course win but just just continue to not uh not have what happened in the beginning of that Xavier game ever happen again uh then then I think they'll they'll take care of business appropriately and and be able to set themselves up for the ultimate goal, which is to break that threshold of winning an NCAA tournament game. That's that's uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, how a large chunk of people are going to be judging the success of this season and Dan Hurley as a head coach, and um, there is some pressure on him to win one game, even though this does look like a really good team and one that should certainly win one in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think we maybe felt the same last year and that did not happen. So uh, that part remains to be seen, but I think uh, what's, what's all coming into the picture for UConn is, is all pretty promising as we head into this home stretch. Yeah. I think, you know, regardless of what happens with this Providence game, those last three games of the season at St. John's, but at Madison Square Garden, that will be, you know, a very favorable UConn crowd, I imagine. Um, home against DePaul and then at Villanova. And, you know, Villanova's a good team, but this is not the Villanova of the, you know, new Big East be- before UConn was kind of back in the fold. So there's a real opportunity there to, like, go 3-0 and and build some momentum in those last three games heading into the Big East tournament. Full head of steam. Should be a, a you know a rowdy environment. A lot of UConn fans there as well, um, and I think that gives them a real opportunity to make a run. They're clearly just as talented as all of these um, these other top four teams. I know I think Xavier was the only one that's beaten them twice, right? Uh, provided the Providence result, but um, they can hang with anybody. So especially on a neutral court, so they're they're definitely in the mix and they're not out of it. Uh, by any means, even though they might finish the regular season as the fifth best team in the Big East. Well, think back to last year and and, and, and all the other prior times in the Big East tournament, it was avoiding Villanova. And, you know, Villanova, there was Villanova and then everyone else kind of vying for that second place shot and who gets a crack at Villanova. Um, there, There isn't that dominant team this year. So they shouldn't fear anybody yet. Like, Madigan said they haven't beat Xavier, but I feel very confidently that if you take away that bizarre Andre Jackson six shot, you know, 21 to four or 21 to nine, just like bizarro world feature at Gamble, which again, just every time I think about it, I just a chill runs down my spine. I think they beat Xavier. And so then you're looking into this and saying they've split with every team in the, in the top 25 home and away or or however you want to look at it. And there's no, there's no one above them that, that you're trying to dodge in the bracket in, 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 the, in the garden. So you factor that in with a relatively light finishing schedule where you can get some momentum with the home crowd in the garden. Um, you, you have to like their chances as almost the favorite. And then you, you say, okay, if, provided there's no disaster there you can build that momentum to avoid some kind of catastrophe where you're you're so tight in the big east tournament that you know the narrative continues that dan hurley can't win a tournament game at uconn and that's basically the what we can't have right and that's 
uh, not something that we anticipate happening given how they've played, but um, we have seen them underperform in that situation. I would say, um, you know, two years ago, particularly in the Big East tournament, um, the way, especially the way that they lost, uh, there, there are some, there are some, uh, demons to overcome for, for Dan Hurley and the Huskies, you know, there are players who, who were part of that experiences, uh, and, and part of those teams. So, uh, that, that's the part that can happen, but I think they, as long, as long as they don't lose to DePaul really in the next and, and honestly, St. John's at MSG, if they lose to St. John's at MSG, I, I, I will get upset. I'll, I'll get mad online from an anonymous account and uh really let him have it but uh for my for my boneyard burner which you guys don't even know about uh but but yeah the the postseason stuff is really where the expectations lie but that's dan hurley has expressed that he's confident about his team in tournament play they did win a tournament this year at the beginning of the season uh so we shall see that's that's not a tournament that's well yeah sure of course, it's not. I mean, it's not. Certainly not taking the the you know the criticism off his back for sure. But I'm just saying. Hurley said he has a he likes the way his he likes his team in a tournament, uh, in an elimination setting, and uh, we'll just have to see how that that part plays out. All right, that is going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.